Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you're here with us today. This podcast is all about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. And I'm going to say this because I say this at the beginning of every show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so that you never miss an episode. We've got so many great guests coming up. We've had amazing guests on the show before, have an awesome guest today. So be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And so today I've got an amazing guest here with me, someone I'm super excited to chat with, and I know you're going to love him too, inside the huddle with us and ready to help us move the ball, is Q Harrison Terry. Q is a growth marketer at Mark Cuban Companies, which is a Dallas, Texas venture capital firm where he advises and assists portfolio companies with their marketing strategies and their objectives. Previously, Q led marketing at Redox, focusing on lead acquisition, new user experience, events, and content marketing. Q has been featured everywhere, including CNN, Huffington Post, Xconomy, Cointelegraph, and so many other places. And as a speaker and moderator, Q has done a number of talks, including a TEDx talk, which we will talk about later in the show. So Q, welcome to the show. Yo, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you with us. I know we've talked about doing this for quite some time, so it's good to finally make it happen and have you help us to move the ball. So where I want to start off our conversation is talking about that TEDx talk. So back in 2014, you did a TEDx at UW-Madison, and the title of it was Why I Create My Own Future and Why You Should Too. And why I want to start out with this is I think it's very important for us to think about how are we showing up in life and are we creators of where we want to go and our future or are we just settling and kind of going through life and obviously you and I vibe on the same wavelength and we think that we should be creators of our future. So talk to us about A, why did you want to do the talk and B, why did you pick that topic? Yeah, so that was almost seven years ago. So just to put that into context, I think looking back, this this is actually the first time I'm looking back on it in the last seven years. At that time in my life, I was, you know, very much a creator. I think that's one thing that's been always constant with me just in general. I thought, you know, if I had to give a TEDx talk, what do I know well enough that other people, no matter no matter where they are in life, be willing to listen and kind of hear me out on on this thing. And And I felt like the strongest topic I could talk about was creativity and kind of owning your own vision within your head and like how to manifest that. And I think it aged well. It's not my favorite speech by myself personally, but you know, I was very young and I, I was still learning. Right. And I think that, that the thing is, is like, it doesn't matter where you are. If you've got something to say, you know, try to articulate it in the best way possible and, and you're going to get better. That's inevitable. So that's, uh, that's my, that's my take on, you know, where I was at when I made that, 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 that talk. And in that talk, you were discussing the importance of taking risk and putting yourself 
out there. And something you had said was that people who are risk takers, they do whatever they need to do to make things happen. When you look at all the successful entrepreneurs, they've really been driven, like they wanted to be successful entrepreneurs. They own that, they had that ownership and they did what they needed to do to make things happen. And so when you look back on, I know you've come across a ton of people who have just done incredible things. Can you give us an example of someone that comes to mind that is one of those people that really wasn't afraid to take those risks and make things happen and had a successful business today? Yeah. I mean, there's tons of people to go off of. I mean, for popular culture, everyone knows the story of of Amazon, right? Jeff Bezos in the 1998 comes around, you know, he's leaving his nice Wall Street job and he takes this risk on this thing at the time known as the internet. And the internet was very much akin to where I would say, you know, blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies and NFTs are today, right? So it's popular culture. People hear it. They know there's money to be made there, but it's not necessarily a major part of our everyday lives yet. And so when you look at Jeff in in 1998 and you say, what what does it take to go from there to, you know, one of the most successful companies in the world and and, and under the span of, you know, 23 years, that's that's what taking a risk looks like, right? And I think there's a lot of stories. I'm not here to recap the, the Jeff Bezos story. There's a lot of books. That, that get into that, the everything store is one that I think everyone should go check out if they're interested in entrepreneurship. I, I, the author is, is blanking me here. I'll, I'll look it up while we're recording. But I would say, you know, in my own life, speaking from that, there's a lot of risk I've taken. There's never really been a straight path per se where I just go and, and just kind of knock it out. It's usually like I'm traveling, I'm traveling, I get kind of stuck or, you know, complacent. And I look at it and I'm like, what am I doing? And then I look outside and, you know, I'm saying, okay, what what I really want to be doing or what do I envision myself doing? And then I I take whatever, you know, steps are necessary to get there. And and sometimes that means you have to learn new skills and, you know, there's risk there because you have to allocate a lot of time, right? You know, right right now I'm learning how to do 3D graphics and, 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 you know, modeling. And, And there's no if, ands or buts if that'll actually pan out. But, you know, it's one of those things where I think that there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of need there. And, you know, there's other skills that I'm, I've, I've been, you know, teaching myself over the years, you know, I taught myself Japanese. You know, there's no there's no true payout to that yet. But I think that there is going to be a case in the future. And so risk taking beyond entrepreneurship is really something that anyone can practice. And it's like, what do you in your gut say? I will be a better version of myself if I take the risk and learn or do or go or apply a skill set. In, in whatever domain, even if it, it costs you money or it takes time or it takes more patience, because sometimes, you know, risk isn't always about going after something. Sometimes risk is just waiting. Yeah, absolutely. And as I'm listening to you, I mean, I think risk doesn't just apply to entrepreneurs, as you just said, and risk is about making investments, whether it's a monetary one or a time investment in things that can help level you up, help make you better, help you learn and grow as individuals. And something else that I love, a risk that you've taken, I know, I know you know that I admire you for this, is the risk that you took in New York City. I'm not going to spoil the story. So you tell us about something. There's something big that you did that not many people would do uh, that has to do with New York City. So tell us the story. I think the year is 2018 and I'm in New York City working on a marketing campaign and I'm out there walking around uh, not too far from Times Square and Banksy does a, a pop-up installation. For the people that don't know, Banksy is a 
a world-renowned street artist. So he has tons of masterpieces, and we don't actually know if it's a he or a she, so my apologies there. Banksy is is unknown. The, ident- the identity of Banksy is unknown. And, and because of that, I think there's also an enigma towards, you know, when he makes or when he or she makes a new painting. Right. And so I look at it and I'm in I'm in New York and I see it and there's a billboard above it. And I look at the the numbers and the information to buy it. And I went to sleep that night. You know, I was thinking like, hmm, you know, a lot of people are going to go look at this Banksy. I literally saw it. I'm like on the first you know, hour wave of people to see it before it hits all the blogs. I wake up that next morning. Of course, it's in like Vogue and every magazine possible. And I'm thinking like there's going to just be a ton of foot traffic going there, a lot of eyeballs. And there's people that are into Banksy that are going to appreciate, you know, someone being creative there. And so I bought the billboard uh, for a week and I put my resume up there. I mean, like a virtual digital, like uh, digital resume. If you type in Q Harrison billboard on on Google, you'll be able to see it for yourself. And what was interesting about that is I really did take a massive risk there. You know, I I took just about all the money I had in my account at the time to, to, to put that up. And, you know, I was believing in myself saying that, like, you know, if, if everything failed, I would be able to just kind of figure it out. Like, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough, but it was it was worth the risk. And I think that that was probably the hardest part. Obviously, it paid off. You know, Mark Cuban eventually reached out to me and I ended up getting a job there working with him and still am in that job. And that was about three years ago. So I would definitely do it again. But at the same time, you, you know, it's one of those things where you have to take on the appropriate amount of risk. That is that is for you. So me putting a billboard up and not too far from Times Square and, you know, above a Banksy was something that was fitting for me when I was, I think, what was I, 22? So I can't suggest that others should follow that because you have to do what's best for you. But for me, as a marketer and wanting to go to the next step in my career, I thought that like just being at a point where I could just say, hey, let me showcase my marketing abilities versus just writing some lame ass, you know, cover letter. That was the best way to, to, to do that. And, you know, if I had to go and showcase my marketing abilities today, it would look different than what it did three years ago. And I think that that's the the concept of, of you know, risk taking and elevating and showcasing yourself and just kind of knowing what you do and being really good at it. And I love the story. You know that I know that or that I that I really enjoy just your courage, you're putting yourself out there. And to your point, I mean, you do have to assess what your risk tolerance is and that's not going to make sense for everybody but the fact that it made sense for you and said you know what i'm going to go do that it's non-traditional and that everyone's willing to do it it's a way to separate myself to differentiate myself to get myself hopefully noticed by some people i just think is amazing and we'll come back and talk about you working with mark and what that's like but just going along the entrepreneurship theme and taking the risk i mean i knew you before i left my corporate job and went and made the the jump myself. And that was the hardest thing to walk away. But once I did that, I was like, all right, let's go. We're going to figure it out. You do what you have to do to make things happen. And you think creatively and you think about the risks that you want to take, the risks that are right for you. And you go all in. The truly successful people go all in on what it is they're looking to do. And they know that no matter what happens, they're going to figure it out. Same thing with your billboard, right? Like you didn't know what the outcome was going to be but you knew that it was going to be okay. You were willing to bet on yourself and to take the chance and see what happened. And I think it worked out pretty well. As you look at, for those entrepreneurs out there or people who are thinking about entrepreneurship and maybe making that corporate leap, 
What are some of the lessons or things you would pass on to people that are starting off on that journey? I would say like pick a skill, if any skill, get really good at it and then find the next skill and just start stacking skills. Very similar to how you would stack bricks in Tetris. And what you want to do is you want to get your skills to a point where they're really cohesive and they can be really weird. Like when you think about, you know, stacking bricks and Tetris, there's no one specific way to do it. You know, you can take an L shape and mix that with a square and mix that with a another L shape or you can take a J piece and do, you know, like I could get real nerdy here. But like the thing is, is like there's different combinations. And so if you speak a foreign language and you also are a programmer, you have the ability to program And not only your native language, but also that other language. And even if it's weaker, start off with smaller work, right? Start off with work where it might be harder for you. Just build HTML web pages, right? Like, you know how to do that relatively well. If you're, you know, an advanced programmer, it might be boring to you, but you're not doing it for the, the depth of the technical work, right? What you're doing is to get the reps in for, you know, speaking to someone in a different language and saying, okay, I'm going to take my skill set here and apply it through a different lens. And of course, it's going to be hard. But once you've mastered that, now you effectively can work in two places because you have a skill set that allows you to converse between maybe two different nationalities or two different cultures. And, and, and just that that opens up new doors. And if let's say it's not language and programming. I mean, Jen, you're here, you know, pick two skills, give me two skills and we'll we'll do it live. Like what what's a skill that you, you feel like you have? Oh, put me on the spot here. A, a skill that I think I have is I mean, I'm a content creator, just like you, right? Different mediums. And so for me, my content is, I do a lot of audio content and written. I write a lot. And so for me, I think my ability to communicate with people in written form has gotten great traction. People resonate with it well. And so I'd say, you know, being able to write in English and and communicate effectively with messages that really speak to people's core being and tap into emotions. And so as a creator, right, you now have these two mediums written in audio that you can combine in a variety of ways, right? There's a audio platform revolution, you know, clubhouse is here to stay. It looks like, and I, I, I'm not on clubhouse every day. So if this idea is already out there, great. But if I'm a great writer, maybe I would debut my piece, put it on my blog or my medium or LinkedIn or whatever your, your, wherever you release your content, put it out there. And then, you know, also at the end of it, say, Hey, meet me on clubhouse at specific time. Here's the link. We're going to do a live reading and then recap what today's content was about. That is a skill set, right? Because you're taking your written content and your ability to host great audio experiences and mashing them up in a way that, you know, people can engage and kind of experience a new format. And I think that that's what branding yourself and taking risk is all about. Like if you're going and getting skills, then you can let those skills compound in ways that really only you could do like that. They uniquely define you. It's kind of like your creative fingerprint per se. I like that. And so let's talk about branding for a minute. I mean, obviously, you know that I've spent uh, the last few years really trying to grow the move the ball brand and the movement and work with a lot of pro athletes as well as executives on their brand. And so for people like we all have a brand, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, or just a corporate person, like we all have a brand that we need to be managing. So when you think about branding for anybody, not just a business, like what are some of the things that come to mind in terms of what people should be mindful of? I think people should be mindful of a few things. One, how is their brand showing up 
towards the people that they really want to interact with the best. What I mean by that is if you have a content creation blog and you only need to appeal to lawyers, it doesn't matter if your content pisses off fashionistas. It doesn't matter if your content doesn't resonate with music people. All that matters is that you're getting the the target persona that you're looking for. And I think a lot of people think too broadly about their brand. They they don't think specifically like who does this solve a problem for? And if you're starting out, you know, the best advice I could give you or even if you're already in the game, the best advice I could give you with a brand is know your personas, right? Like your personas are 90% of the game. It's not going to be the solution that grows your company, but your personas tell you who you're talking to. And so if you don't know who you're talking to, it's going to be really hard to grow. It's going to be really hard to brand. It's going to be really hard to create a thought leadership or an expertise in the market because you don't know who you're talking to. And so I think like, If you're just getting started or if you're even in the game, you can't articulate who your persona is, then you got to go back and and do that. And then a lot of the things become a lot easier because it's like, okay, I need to get more, you know, lawyers involved and and they need to read my content. And like maybe lawyers are really boring and stodgy. And so you say, hey, I don't like the the firm lawyer. I actually like the the solo practitioner, the person that, you know, starts their own firm up. And and Jane, you're a lawyer, right? I am. Yeah. Oh, so you so this is resonating. <laughs> are there different types of lawyers? I mean, yeah, you you've got different focuses. You've got some that are more techie and and geeky too than uh, than solo practitioners or people that are in the corporate space focused more on like transactional stuff versus family law as an example or uh, social justice or, you know, people that are looking at environmental issues. So there's very, there's different types of lawyers, there's different audiences, there's different topics of interest. Got it, got it, got it. If you were had to start a blog and you were going after lawyers, where, where what's the one, what's one pain point that you think is universally felt? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's different if you're a corporate lawyer versus in the firm, Life. So that's a big difference because in the corporate setting, you represent your company and there's issues around that. Whereas if you're in the firm, you're dealing with billable hours, for example, or lead generation. Whereas as a corporate transactional lawyer, I didn't have to find leads because I had my client was the company. Right. So I think that's one big thing that people that have their own firms, whether it's an environmental law firm or it's a sports law agency, it's all about business development, lead gen. So let's cook with that. So let's say I have a blog and my whole goal is I make it easier for lawyers to find leads. Well, that means corporate attorneys need to know about me so they can tell their solo practitioners and their firm attorneys about me. But I don't really have much to say to corporate attorneys unless they go to the firm. Right. So knowing that I'm going to really put a lot of content out there for the new partner. You now become a partner. You need to create, you know, new business or generate new eyeballs for, for the brand. And like all eyes are on you. On you. What do you lean into? I'm going to write content and create content about that. And guess what? I'm going to send it to anyone that changes their bio on LinkedIn to partner. I'm going to get eyeballs on that content. And as long as the content resonates, it might create new business for, you know, my company that helps lawyers get leads. And that's the importance of branding, right? I think keeping things simple, kind of knowing your persona and then building plans where you can easily articulate them and they make sense. That's something that anyone can do at any level. And as long as you can, you can do that. It's just a matter of execution. 
So I want to ask you a question about LinkedIn, since you had mentioned you're going to send this to anybody that has partner in their name. Are you thinking of sending it through like a sales navigator in mail or how are you reaching them? Because the reason I ask this is, I mean, we're both on LinkedIn quite a bit and we get all the spammy emails just like everybody else. Right. And so I guess what would your approach be? I'm just curious. My approach would probably be, I would add the people that have become partners. If they accepted my connection, great. I would post a lot of content every day, 365, seven days a week, just sharing insightful things that I think would appeal to lawyers. So maybe one day I'd have humor content where it's like contracts that simple contracts, why lawyers don't give out simple contracts, right? It's like, well, lawyers need billable hours. And so if everything was clean, uh, guess what? Lawyers would have more work to do. So if they spend, you know, a lot of time on a 42 page contract and they could have did it in one page, maybe they they did that intentionally because they needed to make money. I don't know, Jen, I'm not a lawyer. Does, does that make sense? <laughs> it does. I'm going to. So I'm going to talk about two things that you brought up. So one, this conversation isn't just about targeting lawyers on LinkedIn. It's about targeting your audience. Right. So yeah. whomever your group is. Find those people, connect with them, and then start posting content. Don't just spam them, all your stuff. Uh, but post content so they can see it. The other part about lawyers specifically, because I don't want someone to take this the wrong way, is lawyers don't give longer contracts to avoid the simple solution because words do matter and every term, every fact could make a difference. I'll give an example. The placement of a comma made the difference in a $6 million difference in a contract dispute. $6 million, one comma. So there are words and long contracts at times for a good reason. So I just want to clarify that, that it's not that they're just trying to bill you for more hours. There can, there are times for simple contracts, but there are times things can be more complex. So if you were targeting lawyers, that, that segment right there, that clip right there, you know, some telling someone like why, you know, commas matter in a legal document, you know, a lawyer might know it, you know, they, they might think it's good content and they'll share it with their audience because they have clients at the end of the day that they have to serve. And the clients are asking the same questions that we just brought up here because they're not lawyers. And so sometimes making it easier for the people that you're you're trying to approach or ultimately get to buy your product is a, a better foot in the door than just reaching out cold and saying, hey, like, will you buy my product? Because, you know, that's, that works in the numbers game format. But if you're really trying to build strong relationships, strong authority, a uh, true expertise, and, and, and largely be a thought leader in the space beyond just comments and likes, I think it's, you have to, you have to help people out where, when they need it the most. And I think taking stress off their plate or, you know, adding value or creating uh, true impact in their lives by making something easier or much more clear to explain to their, their, their own following, that's probably the quicker way to do that. But it takes time and it takes knowing your industry. It takes knowing your market. It takes talking to your personas. It, talk, it takes, you know, really caring. If you don't care about what you do, it's going to be showing your work. And a lot of people say, do what you're passionate about. I don't always agree with that, but I do think that there is a, love, a base level of passion that you have to exert when doing anything. Sure. And I'm glad you mentioned that this takes time because so many people are looking for the quick solution. What's that quick and dirty thing that I can do that's going to close me a bunch of deals, get me a bunch of clients. And that's just not how it usually works. It's serving, providing value, building those relationships, putting out content that matters. It's not, let me spam a thousand people hoping I get one. I'm amazed at how many people think that is the right approach. I don't agree with that because I just don't think it's how you build long-term success, but that's my, my view. And I think that's your view as well. 
So just want people to think about how you're showing up on whatever your platform is that you're connecting with your audience, with your target customers, with whomever you're trying to build relationships with. So Q, what I want to do now is I want to talk about you working with Mark Cuban and the work that you do there. So you shared us how you kind of got started on that journey. Talk to us about culturally, what is it like working for Mark? What are some of the things that really excite you about the role that you're in? A couple of things. I think working with Mark is an incredible experience, right? Like I've learned so much just being in the room and, and being a part of so many deals, so many conversations, so many marketing campaigns. And just it's it's been a it's been a long three years. Right. So I think what I can say is, you know, what I do at Mark Cuban companies is I just help Mark when it comes to the marketing for a lot of the portfolio companies that he's invested in. What that means is when you see Mark, whether it be on Shark Tank or an article or whatever, he'll make an investment in a company. And oftentimes those founders will reach out and they'll have, you know, specific problems or challenges. And, and nowadays there's tons of problems and challenges with marketing. Everything from my Facebook ads aren't working properly or we need to rebrand our name and, and you know, our our packaging. We need to change our website. We need to get in front of this customer. Some of the stuff that we just did here, right? Like all of those things are, are relevant problems and challenges. And then there's even tougher challenges where it's like, we've got 10,000 users and we need to get to 100,000 users and we only have limited resources to do that. How are we going to do it? And those are the things that I deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, if you have questions, I, I can maybe answer them, but if I can, I'll just tell you. Gotcha. And so when you look at a guy like Mark, like what in your mind makes him a great leader, a great person to be around? Uh, Mark is a master of communication. And I think anyone that follows Mark Cuban knows that he's not afraid to speak his mind and do so in a way that resonates, but doesn't make you feel like. And I think that any leader can benefit from that. But also it's one of those things where if you get a chance to observe someone doing it and practicing it daily, you definitely learn a little bit through osmosis as well. I definitely have. And what is the best piece of advice that Mark has given you? You know, honestly, you're going to you're going to laugh at this, but Mark always tells me 24/7, perfection is the enemy of progress. Mm-hmm. So, I think, you know, when I look at something, I always ask myself, is this Mark Cuban ready? And that's a that's a big question, right? Because you're like, you know, I don't know what what's going to happen if I show something that's not ready. And he's oftentimes like, yo, don't try to get it perfect. Just, you know, just progress it. And that looks different than, you know, perfection. Oh, I like that. It's a good piece of advice. It's simple. It's nothing, you know, novel, but it's an important piece of advice for people to keep in mind because so often we take too much time striving for perfection when we're never going to get there and you're just wasting time. For sure. For sure. So something else that you are involved in that I want to talk about on the show is NFT QT. So talk to us about what it is and what you're doing there. Yeah. So it's a great question. A long time ago, like 2015, I started one of the first digital art marketplaces powered by the Bitcoin blockchain. And that was weird because in 2015, no one wanted to hear anything about digital art or buying a digital file on the Internet. They didn't know what a blockchain was. People barely understood what a Bitcoin was. And, you know, I raised a a good about a, a good amount of money for that project and built a team and did the whole venture capital thing. And learned a lot. And we ended up exiting that company in late 2016, early 2017. I think there was a lot of things we did wrong with 23Vivi. I think staying in Wisconsin was probably not the strongest move. I think you could have definitely got that project started in Wisconsin, but we needed 
future thinkers, people that could think probably way deeper than what I, I think anyone was even capable of in that vicinity. And that's not knocking them. It's just that, you know, Wisconsin wasn't the right spot. I should have went to the Valley, should have went to New York, should have went to places where, you know, it wasn't that peculiar to, to think about owning a digital file. So you fast forward to 2020 and 2021. And we're in this era where now it's common knowledge and, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of excitement and hype around NFTs. For the people that are listening and they don't know what an NFT is, well, an NFT by definition is a non-fungible token. What that really means is you can think of it as a digital collectible or a digital file that can be uniquely identified as a one of one. So traditionally speaking, if Jen writes a Microsoft Word doc, which I'm sure she does almost every day, is that right? Yes. You can easily just send that to me on uh, email or airdrop it. And guess what? I can duplicate it and make a million of those things. And if I rename the, the files and send it right back to Jen, she would have no idea that that was not the original file. It would be very hard to tell. And so what NFTs kind of make possible is this whole concept of digital scarcity and the the whole concept that a digital file can have a one of a unique one of one. And when you think about it, you're like, hmm, I never really thought that could be valuable. But then when you think one la- one layer deeper, you're like, hmm, okay, art is an easy use case here. Uh, memberships, digital memberships is an easy use case here. You can have different projects where people say, hey, I'm going to create something and there's only going to be 10,000 or a million of them. And then like, I'm going to let the the market determine what happens to that stuff, or I'm only going to make one of them. And so we're still in the very early days of NFTs, but it's something that it's always been near and dear to me. Uh, 23 Vivi obviously was a, was a fun project for me to work on. And it's definitely part of my origin story. And I thought it would only be right if I came back and shared some of my notes, insights, research, and just my diagnosis of the NFT market as it stands. And so I'm sharing those insights at nftqt.com. Again, that's nftqt.com. And I've got a ton of resources. You know, I wrote an NFT handbook that's being published by Wiley on October 12th. We're working on, you know, a few other exciting things that I can't talk on just yet, but it's, it's fun. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put your website in the show notes so people can check you out and learn more about NFT QT. And so what I want to do now, Q2, kind of close the show is take you through my two minute drill, ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? Of course. Always ready, right? First question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? When I was 10, I wanted to be a Power Ranger. Nice. I can see that as evidence by. So we're actually recording this in Q's house and he's got quite a display of uh, helmets. Is that the right term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that was what I wanted to be and I grew up and did it. So there's a funny story there. I was actually a Power Ranger, the Red Ranger. Oh, I didn't know that. You have to tell me more about that. I will. I will. Yeah. So it came true. All right. My next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? Man, I have no clue. But I mean, hopefully a popping actor that would sell a lot of tickets, because if it's about my life, that means I option the agreement and I'm hopefully a producer. So I wanted to, you know, be someone that can sell a lot of tickets uh, or if, if we want to go, you know, gender agnostic, you know, someone could just do the voiceover and they can animate it because I feel like, you know, animated shows are getting more love now than some of the live action stuff. There you go. You're such a techie guy. And uh, no one has ever said that on the show. So I'm not surprised that you would be the first to talk about an animated movie of yourself. 
Hey, I think that that, I mean, if that's the case, I hope Jaden Smith's the voiceover actor. I know he's got a, a unique voice, but I feel like he would, he would bring good personality to the, the Q Harrison identity. There you go. All right. My next question is what is your favorite vacation spot? Yo, you know, it's funny is I haven't taken a vacation in a long time, but I've been all around the world. I like to chill in Tokyo. I think Japan's like one of the coolest places on the planet. But if we're in the United States, I mean, Seattle's not a bad place either. It's a good place. Tokyo's not a bad place either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? I see so you're going to you're going to you're not going to like this. It's just it's just vanilla. Like, I know I'm, you're going to say that. I like vanilla because you can you can create little like masterpieces with it so you can make like vanilla ice cream and a root beer float you can take vanilla ice cream and like cream soda and create something you can mix it put some caramel on there put some pecans and you could you could you could change your life a little bit right there there's a lot of things you could do with vanilla ice cream as the base so that's a that's a tried and true favorite for me it's a good answer because there's a lot of people on the show that do answer vanilla but it's not for the reason you say it's just i don't know i just like vanilla so I'm not surprised that you have a creative answer for why vanilla is your favorite. Hey, you got to have variety. You know what I'm saying? That's right. All right. Next question is, what is a pet peeve of yours? Honestly, I hate when when people don't apply themselves to stuff, especially mm-hmm. when the opportunity is right there in front of them where they've got, you know, everything they need to be successful, but they don't believe in themselves to take it to the next level. Like, I think that that's the greatest pet peeve I have because I see it happen so much every day, especially after the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's not knocking anyone. I think that oftentimes people don't realize that, like, there's a lot of people that believe in you, right? And, like, you know, look at yourself, look at where you've been placed. And and even when the odds seem against you, there is usually a little bit of hope or a little bit of something in your corner. And, like, if that's all you got, take it and cook with it, right? Like, sometimes... You got to start small before you can snowball that into something massive. And I think we just have lost that as a as a culture here. Absolutely. And so I'm deviating and it's longer than two minute drill. But you made me think about something that's big for me right now. A theme that I'm pushing a lot on social is how are you showing up in life? I actually did a video earlier today where I talked about, as you know, Q, I'm here in Dallas. It was the Women's National Football Conference Championship Weekend, of which I am a board member. Fantastic, fantastic weekend. But uh, there was a guy that came up to me before the championship game and he said, you know, hearing your story gave me goosebumps. And I was just like, wow. And I did a video this morning about it where I talked about how, you know, my story, my dad passed away very unexpectedly for those that don't know. Um, That made me really rethink everything in my life and the life that I I thought was important to me didn't matter anymore. And it was about what's more what am I going to leave behind? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? And so I left corporate, as you know, Q, behind and focused on growing this move the ball movement. And so just sharing the successes of it and, and what's happened since I've left, he was like, what do you attribute to that success? And I talked about, I showed up, I showed up every single day, like every day mattered. And I took none of them for granted. And I feel like so many people now just exist instead of showing up the right way, looking at how they're going to move the ball forward, how they're going to capitalize on opportunities, take risks, do all those things, tap into their potential instead of just floating in life. Yeah, no, that was very well said. And legacy is everything. I think it, it's it's weird because like I'm starting to think about that now, but I still haven't even fully wrapped my head around it. And I think sometimes we struggle to just see our own life and our own impact in our own lives before we can start to think about what it means for others and even beyond ourselves. So 
good, good points for sure. Yeah. So going back to my two minute drill now, uh, a couple other questions I want to ask you. The next one is what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? All right, I'm going to take this moment to do a lot of shameless self-promotion. The first book that I'm reading is the NFT handbook. I'm reviewing that all the time because it's coming out on October 12th and it will teach you how to buy, collect and sell NFTs. I think it's a really good resource because it's a it's a one book that you got to pick up and you can quickly get up to speed on NFTs and how people are changing their lives, making massive amounts of money with small investments or just a, you know, a little bit of time here and there. So that's the book. The podcast is actually the NFTQT podcast. Uh, this is why I have the studio here. <laughs> we are doing a deep dive on NFT concepts and topics every week. And uh, I just started that up. I think we're on episode five here. If I can't same, shameless self-promote, that's cool. I, I, no, I might, it's good. It I might have good. some other things, but that's what's occupying my time in those, those capacities. Oh, that's good. And so same website is where people can check those out or where can they get the book when it comes out? And then also where can I'm guessing the podcast is on all the podcasting platforms or where is it? Yeah. So if you go to your favorite podcasting platform and type in NFTQT, you will find me. And if you want to find the book or more articles or content I'm creating, just go to nftqt.com. Perfect. And we'll have that in the show notes, like I mentioned earlier, so people can check you out. And my last question is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you pick and why? Man, you know, I think I would I would choose Kanye West. The reason for that is I just think he's a very creative person, very polarizing, but you know, the man has accomplished so much and does things at such a, a high level through and throughout. Like it's like one of those things where people are going to talk about him and have an opinion about it. And it, I, I just think that that's kind of cool. If that's one person, I think I would probably invite a homeless person just because if I'm going to have a nice dinner party and they, they probably just want a meal. And I'm sure we can learn something from them because from the conversations I've had with homeless people, they're usually just normal people. They just got put in a really tough situation or maybe they couldn't get on their feet in the right way capacity. And I think that, you know, there's, it's a big problem and no one really has all the great answers, but if we all just help one person. Maybe that, that could change a lot of people's lives. So that would be one of the spots. And then the last spot, honestly, would go to some young kid that I, I see killing it, crushing it. I'm talking about a 13-year-old out there that's like grinding every day, applying themselves to some weird skill set. Those would be the three people because I think, you know, that would be a room full of amazing conversations. And I think that, you know, whatever is ideated at that dinner party might, you know, have a crazy impact on society and culture. Oh, I love those answers. You know, they get a lot of people. So first off, you are a non-traditional kind of guy, creative thinker. You know, I adore you. And those answers just go along with that. Because a lot of people will talk about, I'll get some common people talk about, I want to have President Obama or Martin Luther King, all great, important people who have done amazing things. But they're all the common answers, right? And so the things that you mentioned, the people, the types of people you mentioned, the reasons which just drive different conversations, different thinking. And so I love that answer. So thank you for, for mentioning those three people. So Q, as we look to end the show, two things, let people know how can they follow you on social? And secondly, do you have any last words for listeners? If you want to find me on social media, I'm pretty approachable and I'm out there. It's at Q Harrison on just about every platform. So if you want to find me, you can find me. As far as last words, go buy the book. 
There you go. Right. October twelfth. October twelfth. You know, it's 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 my first book that is published by a major publisher. You know, I spent a lot of time and quickly wrote this thing, and you know, I've got a co-author, and it's just been it's been one hell of an experience. And I think you know, the people that go and support early, they'll they'll definitely be a part of the 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 history that I think we can make. I think one of the things that I'm envisioning is I would like for this book to be a bestseller. And I know that's going to take a lot of work and it's not something that just, you know, I can do. And we're also in an era where people don't buy books that much. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Well, you are moving the ball. Everyone go check out the website, check out the book, October 12th. And Q, thank you so much for being on the show. I know we've, we've been talking about this for quite some time and I'm just really excited that we got to make it happen while I was in Dallas. For sure. For sure. Thank you to everyone for listening. Before we close, I just want to say again, think about how are you showing up in life? That is a theme you'll hear me talk about a lot. I've announced on the podcast uh, probably a month and a half ago that I am in the process of writing book number two, which is a compliment to move the ball. And it is all about showing up or that's a big theme within it. So think about how are you showing up to each day? All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please share it with somebody else, share the podcast, and we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up you show up and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.